Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. We are looking at John 15, 5 one more time. We've been in this verse for for two Sundays, and we're going to have another Sunday before we leave this. This is where Jesus said that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's a tremendous promise and invitation and caution that we see from Jesus. And this chapter of John 15 reminds us that Jesus is our only true vine. And another way to say that is our true source of life. There are false vines that we could try to put our hope in and they steal life from us. Jesus is the only source of true life. And then he says, if we remain in that vine, we will bear much fruit. And in other places in this same chapter, it says, we'll know fullness of joy. We'll be able to connect with God and, and our hearts will align with his purposes. But before we move on from this part of the chapter, I think it's really important to remember that remaining in the vine is not just about the fact that we access life from the vine, but that we are invited to love the vine. So there's something about uh, the call to know Jesus where we are meant to be compelled by the beauty of God and we desire to know him. Tim Keller said, religious people find God useful, gospel people find him beautiful. And for most of us at some point in our discipleship journey, God is very interested in us making that shift. So before we leave talking about the vine and remaining in the vine, I wanna make sure we understand that uh, remaining in the vine is not just because we want the vine to be useful to us right? It's not just so we can access the promises of the vine, but I'm praying that we would be a church that is compelled by the beauty of the vine, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of this God that invites us to know him. So the message today is titled, Your Highest Calling. And it's, it's a cautionary tale to you because if we miss the beauty of Jesus and the highest calling to know him, the invitation to remain in the vine can actually become burdensome, exhausting, more of a transaction rather than a relationship. And we can even think of it as kind of a negative thing where we're just trying to do our bare minimum to access the promises. And that's not what it is to know and follow Jesus. My dad said, Christian faith is not about what we must not or cannot do, but about what we can do in Christ. It is optimistic, expectant, heartening, and hopeful. Um, it is important that we keep in our view that following Jesus is not pessimistic, it's optimistic. It's not trying to stop us from having joy in our life. It's trying to teach us the true source of joy. It's not to be motivated by just guilt, and it's certainly not about condemnation. It's meant to be motivated by love and passion. And it's not about a begrudging and a spiteful surrender, but it's about a sweet and joyful surrender. And this is important because our remaining in the vine should have that heart behind it. A number of years ago, I was teaching elementary and middle school students guitar, piano, and songwriting. And we were living in Los Angeles. We were planting a church. And God really provided for my family and I through that because I got to teach these really wealthy families in Pacific Palisades music. 
And one of the things I realized early on was that a lot of these parents were hiring me as their kid's second music teacher. And these were like private lessons where you go to the house. And almost all of the kids I was teaching already had, and I'm going to be a little stereotypical here, a very strict Russian piano teacher in their 70s and 80s, right? That, that, and not, nothing wrong with 70s and 80s, nothing wrong with Russia. But, but, but someone that was like drilling it into the kids, the letter of the law in music, that would basically slap their hand if they hit a wrong note. And, and and the parents were getting concerned that the kids were losing the joy of music. And so I met uh, one of these parents that led to a bunch of them in this area. And I mostly play music by ear. I, I read a little bit. I've learned some theory, uh, but I love songwriting. And so I would, uh, by my second or third lesson with students, they would be writing their first original song. And it was something they would get excited about. And so the, the, the parents were trying to get us to work together as music teachers. And it was great. And the reason I share that illustration is because some of us have been raised by people that perhaps just gave us all the rules about following Jesus. And, and if you say one word wrong, they, you get your hand smacked, you know? And that's just not the picture of the heart of God. And we end up transferring that image into who we think God is. It's almost like he's a cosmic cop who's forever trying to get us in trouble. And that's just not the picture that we see throughout scripture. There is a vision of Christianity from scripture that is much more about the joy of being compelled by the wonder of the heart of God, and we get to chase him and know him and receive these incredible things that he has done. And someone who exemplifies this so well is the Apostle Paul, and we're going to read kind of his manifesto of following Jesus today. He learned to remain in the true vine, but as you're about to see, it wasn't from a posture of obligation or just trying to get something from God. It was from passion for God. Look at Philippians 3, 4 through 14. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he's basically saying, uh, before I met Jesus, his name was Saul because Jesus changed his name. He was essentially uh, a leader in his field, born into the right family, perfectly following the letter of the law as best as a human could. He had all the accolades, all the achievement, all the success, all the connections. And what happened is in Acts chapter 9, we're not going to read it today, he literally got knocked off his horse by Jesus. And I say Jesus, it wasn't Jesus in the physical form. It was the spirit of God. And Jesus appeared to him in a vision and he met Jesus. It changed everything so much that he said this, but wherever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So he's saying, I went from being at the very top of my field, being admired by all, having the best sense of human righteousness. I met Jesus and I was compelled by this new vision. You can read it in chapter nine. 
and his life was absolutely transformed. And now he says, all those amazing things I consider loss. In fact, I consider them like garbage compared to the surpassing worth of one thing, knowing Jesus. That's what he paints as the highest calling of his life. And it leads to our first principle. Knowing Jesus is of greater worth than everything else in life. All of our attempts at life, success, reasons for confidence, pale in comparison to the call of knowing Jesus. Usually the reason we're chasing all those other things is we're looking for some sense of peace or fulfillment or meaning in life or, or maybe just the pursuit of happiness. And I, I like this quote from Andy Stanley, if you keep trying to be happy and you aren't happy, you may not know what makes you happy. And that sums up a lot of humanity. And Andy Stanley is good at making simple, true statements like that. The Apostle Paul understood that all these things that he chased for happiness, fulfillment, peace, and meaning, they're not what it's all about. It's actually all about this pursuit of knowing Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you try really hard to just remain in the true vine because you just want the promises of God and you have no interest in a relationship with him and it's out of obligation and duty and and, and even a sense of maybe being scared, um, it's not going to work. God wants you to be consumed by a vision of knowing him. And if you don't have that yet, you can cry out to him today and say, God, I want to know you. This is what the Apostle Paul is modeling for us and what Jesus is speaking to us through his word. And he goes on to say in Philippians, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So very clearly, the Apostle Paul here is connecting knowing Jesus is about participating in the sufferings of Christ and attaining to the resurrection from the dead with Jesus. So I'm going to explain it in a minute, but the principle is this, number two, to know Jesus is to go from death to life. This is the very gospel. This is the message of Jesus. This is the good news. If you feel like you're in the middle of death in your life, take heart, you're in good company. That's the state of humanity apart from Jesus. If you feel like there is nothing working out right and you're just internally completely giving up while externally trying to keep going forward, take heart, you're still in good company. You can sit down there and just be like, Jesus, I, I understand you can relate to this pain because he bore upon himself all the brokenness of mankind, all of your sin, all of mine, all of your shame, all of mine. Scripture says he is a high priest that can empathize with all of our weaknesses and all of our pain. So we are relating to the sufferings of Christ, and there are a lot more things that we could talk about, but ultimately then we are receiving from Jesus the resurrection life through what he did on the cross. As he overcomes sin, death, and the grave, he is raised to life, and we get to go along with him into this new life and receive the very life of Jesus. And look at me for a second, but there is this pattern all throughout Scripture that you, you may or may not have noticed, but it's, it's called the U-shape. And it basically says this, our, our role as Christians is always to humble ourselves, basically go lower, go down. It's the opposite of what our culture tries to teach us. Everything is climbing. Everything is positioning. Everything is going higher. Scripture says, no, 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 get low. Humble yourself before the Lord. And as you humble yourself down to the bottom of the U, Scripture says, he will lift you up. 
And that's the pattern of scripture. And it's the pattern that Jesus modeled for us. Philippians 2 says that Jesus, though being in the very nature of God himself, he is the son of God, did not consider equality with God possible and humbled himself even to the point of death, including death on a cross. Jesus modeled for us the U-shape. He went all the way down far deeper than any of us have gone, right? To the point of death on a cross and then was raised to life and we get to follow him on that journey. So not only is the gospel from death to life, but, but it is the pattern for how we are meant to live. So whenever you find yourself chasing those kind of false vines, or maybe like if the Apostle Paul was chasing after some of the old things that he used to do and forgetting the high call of knowing Jesus, what you can always take to the bank is that God has called you to go low and serve, and he will take care of lifting you. He will take care of what your life becomes. I can tell you this. I bet you you've known enough people that you would agree with this statement. It's no good to end up way up here after lifting yourself up and having no peace and no joy and no healthy relationships. Does it really end well? No. But there is complete peace when we go the U-shaped model of the way of Jesus. We let him take care of the lifting up. We focus on going low and serving. I believe that applies to your career. It doesn't mean don't work hard, don't try, don't have goals. It doesn't mean don't have a vision board, don't have dreams. We're going to talk about that on this last point in just a minute. But it does mean that in all of those things, it's not about you lifting you up. Ultimately, God wants to give you a greater vision that's not just about you. The reason you lifting you up doesn't end well is because even when you're successful at lifting yourself up, it doesn't lead to a fulfilling life to be the one that's lifted up right? It's lifting others up. And that starts by going low and learning how to serve. So it is the pattern for us to know Jesus is to follow his pattern, his way. In the book of Acts, they didn't have, even have the name Christians for quite a while. And what they would call these people was followers of the way, the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is the U-shape. And that's what sets us apart from the rest of the world around us. The Apostle Paul then says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. How many things does he do? Again, how many things does he do? One thing he does, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's a long sentence for saying one thing I do, I remain in the true vine, John 15. One thing I do, I press into the high call of knowing Jesus. And here's the principle, number three, knowing Jesus is a better prize than any other. I hope that at the end of my life, however many years that is on this side of heaven, that I am more in love with Jesus than when I started when I was 17 years old. Anybody with me? It's not really gonna matter whatever my stack of things that I think I did are. It's gonna matter, am I delighting in my savior? The prize is the relationship. It's like that in our marriages as well. A lot of times people start off in marriage just delighting in each other. And then they get consumed with the hard realities of life together and maybe kids and maybe career and unmet expectations from each other. And you can just totally miss the original delight, which was what? The relationship. 
And what healthy marriages eventually realize is the relationship itself is the prize. It's not all the stuff you do together. All that stuff comes and it goes, even children. We raise them up, they head on out, and you're back to doing your own life. The prize is the relationship. And what's beautiful about that is it applies to our relationship with God. The highest calling in your life and the greatest prize of your life is knowing Jesus. And this is what he has called you to pursue with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's less about us pursuing our vision for our life, and it's more about joyfully embracing God's vision for our life. So again, I'm okay with vision boards. There are specifics to our life, but they all must be secondary to God's dream for you. And I bet you if you could hear God's voice right now and he could ask you, hey, would you rather have my dream for you or whatever you can muster up for yourself? If we have even an ounce of wisdom, we would say, God, give me your dream for me. But maybe that needs to be restored in you. Maybe you don't trust God about his dream for you. And that's an invitation for you today. I believe the Lord wants to rework your heart and your mind to desire his dream for you more than your own dream for you. And I am praying that you can completely reorient your life about his vision for you, which is to know Jesus. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to share a story before we respond. I've had the joy of being a part of a couple church plants, and that just means when uh, a group of people feel like God's called them to start a new church. And we've done that here. We've done that in Los Angeles. We got to do that with some ministries in Pennsylvania too. And one of the things I learned over the years doing that work is it's so easy when you're starting something and pursuing a vision together to think that your real future is kind of out there somewhere. And, and, and your goals are over there, over across yonder, over the next valley, on the next mountaintop. And, and one of the things I realized in leading those teams that was so important is that we all realized together that the prize actually isn't over there. We're already walking in the prize, which is just knowing him. In other words, planting that church or doing that business venture or stepping into that relationship or having that next stage of life come to fruition is not going to fulfill the sense of getting over there because you're already in the invitation of the greatest prize. That's amazing news if you learn to lean into it. If you feel super, uh, this sense of dullness in your heart about what it is to know Jesus, I pray that God will quicken that, but in a deeper sense than just emotions. And sometimes we miss this because we think that the fact, we think that saying Jesus is the greatest or knowing Jesus is the, the best prize in all of life means that our emotions are always going to agree with that. Your emotions aren't always going to agree with that. And, and I believe one of the reasons that God doesn't allow it to be all about emotion is because he understands that to live in the, the full life that he called us to is to not be all about our own emotions. True meaning and fulfillment comes from all of a sudden caring more about others than yourself. It's back to the U-shape. So when Jesus becomes your great prize, you learn to walk in his ways. You learn to delight in humbling yourself. I'm telling you, you will have more peace and joy over humbling yourself before God and serving someone than you will whatever you think the next great step you need to happen is if you do that without the Lord, period. So it just simplifies our response to him. It simplifies what we need to do right now. Our job description is to remain in the vine, but may we do that out of a heart of love, not of being compelled by his beauty. 
I met my wife first when she was 16 and didn't really think twice about it. I was 19, so it was illegal. That was one thing. <laughs> but in reality, it was, we, we were, she was a junior counselor. I was a counselor at this camp. I honestly, this sounds bad, but I don't remember being that struck by her, but I know we met. I remember it. It was just kind of nothing, five-minute encounter, never see each other again. But then three years later, we ended up at the same camp. She was 19. I was three years older, and uh, things were legal. Um, it wasn't, in reality, it had nothing to do, that's a good joke, but I noticed her in a different way. It's like I saw her, I didn't see her those first those three years prior, truly. This time I saw her, and, and, and as I began to see her more clearly, and, and of course I thought she was beautiful, but I saw her heart for the Lord. She was leading a group of elementary students at this camp for a week. I saw her with these young girls. I saw uh, what she was doing, and it's amazing. It's like I had a vision then of, of that she would be doing that with our own kids. And now I was up here with my three daughters during worship and our, our son is running around in the kids wing. And, and the same thing that I saw her do at that camp is what she does with our kids. And it's what she does with all of our kids as she's our kids uh, pastor here at the church. And as I begin to see her clearly in her heart, you know what it made me want to do? Know her. I was compelled by beauty. And I'm not just talking physical attraction. I was compelled by beauty. And when you're compelled by beauty, you change your life to try to know someone. And it's the same with the Lord. And if you don't feel compelled by the beauty of God, I would encourage you to say, God, I want to see you more clearly. I want to see you more clearly. I guarantee you, you get just a glimpse of the glory of God and how he created you, you're going to be compelled by beauty. You're going to want to know him more. And there is nothing in this world that compares to that with the Lord. Nothing. All the other things we get to do are wonderful. Our families, our marriages, meaningful careers. I'm not saying they don't matter. They matter. They're great. There's tremendous beauty in this world. But it only is sustained. It only continues to work. It only uh, keeps us healthy when it's functioning, functioning in its proper place as number two. There is only one number one. That's why, that's why God in Scripture is so hard with idolatry because it's anything that we try to make with our hands and put in place of him. And that could be including your own life. And that's what Saul, before his name was Paul, had done. He had made his own life with his own hands, Pharisee of Pharisees, following the law. Here is it, and, and I am my own idol. Here I am, and I, and, but it doesn't work. And then everything bows compared to the surpassing worth of the high calling of knowing Jesus. So are you guys with me in just wanting to say yes more to Jesus? That's my prayer for you. That is my heart. And this journey doesn't stop, by the way. This journey doesn't stop. He is so wondrous and so full of beauty and, and, and so beyond our comprehension that we can pursue him for 100 years and barely scratch the surface. And it's amazing with the Lord because it's like, in one hand, we feel like we know God completely. On the other hand, we feel like we've barely even begun. You guys know what I'm talking about? Martin Smith wrote this great song called Intimate Stranger about that. It's like we have this intimacy with God, but there's also this sense of the holiness of God that is so far beyond us. It's all of it at the same time. 
And I'm praying that when you, when you wake up tomorrow, you won't have the thought, oh man, I guess I should probably read some scripture today. I'm praying that you will have the thought, I wanna spend time with God today because I'm compelled by his beauty. I wanna get to know this one who created me. So Lord, that's our heart. And as we go into just a short response time, Lord, I pray that each person here would just bring their heart before you, would just hear you, Maybe they feel like I initially felt the first time I met Jessica and it just felt inconsequential. Maybe they feel like you are inconsequential in their life, God. They have tried and found you wanting or they're kind of okay going along with things that other people say are real, but there's no, it's no real big deal in their life. I pray that today they could be arrested by the question, is there more? And that they would cry out to you, God, if there's more to this, I want to know. If there's more than just like motions of kind of Western Christianity that we, that we have kind of gotten used to, I want to know. Is there more than just getting up and going to bed every day and barely getting through? Is there more than just trying to, to take care of myself and my own needs? Is there more? Is there something, some compelling beauty that would arrest my heart for the rest of my life? If there is, I want to know. And God, for those of us that, that already have this, this sense before you, I pray that you would fan that flame, God that you would stir the fires in us. Like any relationship in our life, it takes investment, it takes effort, it actually needs to be maintained. So God, I pray some people here might be feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they've neglected the high calling of knowing and walking with you. Their heart still burns, but they need to bring their life back into that reality. And I just pray that they'll hear your voice today. And God, all of this, may it result in us remaining in you, the true vine. May we be what you created us to be, living in the dream you have for us. In Jesus' name. Church, if, uh, if you'd like to respond with me, I'm just going to pray for you. But let's lift our hands together. Lifting our hands is also an act of surrender. It's praise, it's worship, it's also surrender. And I think it's important as a response to this to say, Lord, I don't want anything other than what you want for me. I don't want to be the lifter of myself. I want to follow the way of Jesus and humble myself and allow you to lift me up to wherever you want me to be. And Lord, I pray that some people here would feel immense pressure lift off their shoulders. They don't need to try to measure up as, as some kind of employee or boss that is so extraordinary or some parent or some spouse or some achiever, or, or, or some kind of pressure from some authority figure in their life. They, they don't need to measure up to that. They just need to humble themselves before you, the living God. Follow your way. Fix like a laser upon knowing Jesus, and you will lift them up to be exactly what you need them to be. You will equip them to do those jobs. You will equip them to be in that relationship, to be those parents, those grandparents, those kids. You will equip them to do it in a way that is sustainable and healthy and lasts and a way that is filled with the power of God. So it's such a no-brainer. So as we raise our hands, we just want to say, God, we want to go your way. And God, forgive us for chasing after secondary things and sometimes trying to make them primary things. May we put you and you alone in the first spot of our life. And may all others flow from that. 
all the other good things of life, all the needs, all the heart's desires, may they flow from the high call of knowing you. And may we settle right now deep in our soul. There's no greater prize at the end of this than the prize we have right now. So may we cling to the prize. May we get to know you, Lord. And I pray your blessing on each person, your name, Jesus. One quick practical thing, church, before I pray this benediction. This book is called Drawing Near by John Revere, and we're going to read it as a church this summer. So I would encourage you, if you're feeling stirred and you're looking for a practical resource, dive in with us for the next couple months to read this book. Find it on Amazon. You can get it audio. You can get it digital. You can get a hard copy. I've read it three or four times. It's about 20 years old. Um, we're going to be weaving it into a few different things throughout the summer with our brotherhood, our women's ministry, and even in messages. And it's about the invitation I shared this morning. It's about a life of intimacy with God, the greatest invitation that we have. I also meant to mention before I prayed at the end, the way we know Jesus and the way we say yes to him and are empowered is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today is Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you knew that. But we are remembering the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. And so, simple prayer. I want to be filled to overflowing with you, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you will empower me to know Jesus. To remember everything Jesus has taught that I may walk in his ways. Now go, all you who are loved by God. Hear his call to serve others as he has served you. Hear his invitation to be part of his plan to rescue the world. May we, may we receive Christ's life, walk in his strength, and follow his ways every moment of our lives. May God's care embrace us, Jesus' words embolden us, and the Holy Spirit's presence renew us today and always. We go forth in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great afternoon.